Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim. And um, this week, well, not even this week, at the moment where uh, I'm, I'm sat at home, um, like, like, like most of you, um, and, and I thought what, what better way to kind of utilize the, the extra time that I have um, than to sit down and, and record and, and churn out as much content as possible because I know people are bored, um, social lives are a, a, a thing of the past. And so we're kind of just here um, doing as much as we can, creating as much content um, for our audience as possible. So today on the podcast, in fact, sorry, before I get to that, we're also very excitingly launching um, uh, another podcast. Uh, This is a completely separate podcast stream. Um, I'm going to be setting that all up today. So hopefully it should be live on all the platforms the next couple of days. Um, the podcast is a collaboration between the Muslim Vibe and um, the comedian Nabil Abdul Rashid. Um, it's called I'm Not Your Bilal, um, hosted by Nabil. Uh, in the first couple of episodes, I sit down with him and we talk about a couple of things. The first one's about uh, the crisis of masculinity. Um, the second podcast is about, we recorded it a while ago. What's it about? I can't remember. Uh, oh yeah, the question is, are Muslims getting stupider? Um, uh, so yeah, we recorded these actually at the end of 2019 and we were going to drop them at the beginning of the year and then some stuff came up. So we were going to push that back until May or June time. Um, but just given everything that's happened and I think, you know, people are, uh, kind of on the internet a lot more and, and, and looking for things to keep them entertained and to pass time. Um, and hopefully to, to inform, um, and, and yeah entertain again i know i already said that but yeah so that podcast stream is is going to be um available very soon I'll, I'll put the link in the description to this um so yeah on on this podcast i'm joined by sheikh jafar ladak who's been on the podcast a couple of times before um and the essence of the conversation is around um looking at society beyond um coronavirus and pandemic and how we can reshape society and, and what changes can be made or, or ultimately need to be made um, for the betterment of society. Uh, we, we, we draw upon, I guess, a, a little bit of Quranic um, wisdom within that um, and then also look ahead to, to Ramadan and how people can maximize um, the holy month, um, which looks like a month that will be spent in, in most parts of the world in, um, in, in isolation, quarantine, lockdown, whatever the iteration is in, in in your part of the world um so i think yeah that's that's pretty much it uh we there is by the way a, a facebook group um we have now set up for the podcast um again the link will be in the description um do join it and give us feedback and any thoughts and um i will be you know asking questions and and you know really want to know what you guys want to listen to so we can produce content for you um yeah without further ado here's my conversation with sheikh jaffa Salam, Sheikh Jaffa. Alaikum salam, rahmatullah. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for coming back on the on the podcast. It's been a while since you're. Well, you, you you've you've been on twice technically. The first time we were talking about um, the question was, is Islam inherently a misogynistic religion? That was a couple of years ago, and then I think last year uh, you had a conversation with a a, a right wing activist, um, James Goddard. We we had two with him actually. One which yes, was we had... really successful and one which was a little bit less so because 
he, he, he kind got sidetracked. Of, yeah, he got sidetracked, and I felt like he was just being very, very personal, very attacking at a personal level. So I've had three opportunities to come on, but also yeah. um, every other week I t- try to submit an article to you guys. I don't know whether you yeah. run it or not. But. No, no, we do, we do. Every, every, our, our Friday. So, so for those people who who are regular visitors to our website, we have a Friday sermon, which has now become, I think, a Friday reminder. Yeah. Um, since the the dawn of of the age of coronavirus, <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you very much for I, I think continually supporting and contributing to the Muslim vibe. Um, um, I should be thanking you guys for everything that you do. You're you're far too kind to me on the podcast and not kind enough when when we stop recording. <laughs> Let's get into the flow of things and I'll happily <laughs> abuse you as much as I need to. Brilliant. Uh, I look forward to it. So, um we we're, we're obviously here and and uh I mean let's let's start from the beginning. So, I remember a week or two ago we were actually due to have a meeting. Um and I had, I had texted you and said that I'm I'm looking forward to it was like a mosque committee meeting and and I said that I was looking forward to seeing people face to face for the first time in about a week because everybody was kind of self-isolating or semi-self-isolating our local uh, mosque had had been shut down at that point for a couple of weeks already and um over the course of that day i kind of found out that a couple of my team members in the office had become ill um and so then i thought it wasn't wise for me to leave the house and i was quite gutted then that i had to endure a kind of three and a half hour phone call um, I mean, it was it was a it was a productive <laughs> meeting, but three and a half hours at like eight p.m. We finished just before midnight. Um, but all of us, was, we, none of us attended the meeting in person. We all had to do it from the phone. Yeah, but 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 it, it, what's weird is that like this seems to be, and obviously, I mean, yesterday was uh, Boris Johnson's speech in the UK to the nation about us now being in a state of lockdown, um, and it's it's quite a shock to the system. Um, and, and I think especially from a Muslim perspective and something we want to discuss um, later on in the conversation is Ramadan and how we kind of navigate Ramadan without the social element, which for me at least is one of the core fundamentals of, of the holy month. Um, obviously, there is the spiritual side and, and everything else. But at the same time, I feel like the, the communal element is so key and so important um, and, and gives the month that buzz that we don't get all year round because basically 30 days we spend at the mosque um you know having iftar with with our our family with our friends with our brothers and everything else um and then also kind of praying together supplicating together it's it's very unique and special and really for me at least cements that notion of ummah um that we hear so much about and we talk so much about yes it shocks the system at a number of levels i mean if you imagine that you're a 60 year old and you've had to isolate probably longer than someone of our age demographic just because of how vulnerable you are to this or for example if you're a 60 year old that just has the mosque as a center for social um, and spiritual upliftment how often do you go to the mosque be it for daily prayers or be it for the friday prayers and now all of a sudden you're told you can't go it's even harder for that group and then you think about it at a wider level where the Muslim Ummah uses the month of Ramadan to come together um, to support one another, be it financially, spiritually uplift one another. All of it, it, it's just been a huge shock to the system at all levels. We're all having to adjust because it's it's really alien to us to be taken out of our comfort zone of a routine. That's normal, yeah. let alone 
for this amount of time and for this reason. But another element is how quick it's been. You know, there's not been so much time of an adjustment. But, I mean, how... I guess the question is, how, how has it impacted you, firstly, on a personal level? Um, because we're all kind of struggling with this. But what's it been like for you, especially, you know, you have a pastoral role in terms of you're the, the resident imam at a, at a local mosque. You're used to having your kind of office hours where people come and visit you and ask you questions and have all their problems. I mean, it must be quite a nice holiday for you. <laughs> Actually, my wife was saying to me um, just last night, because it's been busier for you than the normal, you know. <laughs> I thought it, I thought it would have been the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it, 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 as you said, um, I, I have a, a kind of a, a specific role that allows access to me, be it people who want to come and ask religious questions or um, pastoral care questions. So you'd have regular office hours. In addition to that, you, you'd be preparing for like sermons. And in our community center, our mosque is quite large in the sense that it can pack maybe a couple of thousand people and on very very large occasions it's packed to the walls last few times i've had to go in and it's literally been empty and i've been doing recordings to just the angels and the jinns that have been lurking around <laughs> um so you know it's it's been a it's been an interesting learning experience having to shift firstly away from people and having to do everything online and as a technophobe that's been a great learning you know advance for me but then just thinking about now the community in its realest sense it does it actually has problems that are going to be not just ongoing problems that are going to actually become greatly manifested and how do we help those people so as an example you have um family members that let's say some of them sadly are abusive are violent um and Normally, when someone's in that situation, they can come to the mosque, they get out of the house, they go somewhere to find some sort of um, strength and some time away from what, what they're going through. We already have cases in the community now, and I'm sure in many communities, this isn't something specific to the Muslim community, where now people are on lockdown, they're closer to their family members for all hours of the day. How do they get out? How do they give themselves space? Or a person who needs to be able to get out just for their own mental health and to be able to enjoy walks. Even now, at certain age demographics or certain levels of vulnerability, the government says, don't go out um, at all, even for exercise. So now in my pastoral care role, you actually have to take a step back and say, not only have things shifted away from the mosque, but actually everything is confined to a space, the house, the flat that you're living in, how then do you provide services for those people? Then you go a step further and say, well, not, this isn't going to be lasting two weeks. In reality, I expect it to be at least six months. Now, we'll come on to that, I'm sure, about what we can do during our time. But if this yeah. is going to last six months and we have people that are out of work, again, the question comes, how does the mosque support such people? And we do need to have welfare in place. We do need to have routes to be able, or when I say routes, I mean access points to be able to help people who are going to be isolated, who may not be able to go and get groceries, who just really may be struggling and need someone to come visit them. All of these things need to be in place. So, yeah, there's the typical sermons that have to be thought about and you, you need to give time to that. But actually, we've had to rethink the entire structure of the mosque services. 
I think what's what's quite interesting for me has been the fact that we always look at uh, Islam as being this this holistic entity and 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 providing all of the answers, so to speak, and everything else. And and obviously, I I personally do believe that. Um, but one thing that I've found in in all of this is that the the community and the Ummah stuff that I mentioned earlier is so fundamental and crucial. And what's happened overnight is that that's been taken away from us. Um, and all of a sudden, it becomes, uh, for me at least, I think it's become a lot more personal in terms of like yeah. re- religion is now like you and God. There's nobody else there. Yeah. There's, you know, if, if you're going to, you're, you're sat at home, it's not a case of like you're at the mosque on a Friday. So like, obviously you're going to pray. Like now it's on you to, to do all of your work. I, I your completely agree. We, we, we kind of outsourced the religion to the imam. And yeah. that person goes on the pulpit and, you know, maybe for an hour or whatever, sermonizes. And you're supposed to get your spirituality from that until the next time that you come. Whereas, actually, if you look at the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad, he would say things like, he has specific hadith that are like, make sure your houses are illuminated by the recitation of Quran. Do not make your houses like graves where it's just places for the dead and you've you've only made it that the masjid is the place of your spirituality, make sure your house is a place that is illuminated. So we're having to learn through this, and all, almost it's actually made us think about religion and God in a completely different way. And that can only be healthy from the perspective of renewing our relationship with God and renewing the way in which we're understanding religion. And in terms of... Um, looking at this, looking at coronavirus and and the 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 seismic shifts, I guess, to the to the very kind of fabric of society as a result. Um, I I don't know what the next few weeks and months holds for us, you know, uh, as a country, uh, as a community, globally, even. But uh, and and whilst we're still, I guess, constantly learning lessons and adjusting and whatever else, um, when we, when we spoke uh, a couple of days ago about this this podcast that we wanted to record, um, you had some very interesting interesting thoughts about looking um, beyond the next six months and kind of uh, understanding the reforms and and the lessons that we've already learned in the last few days and weeks. And I mean, one example is I think on on Thursday of this week uh, there's a there's a planned kind of uh collective action I believe to open our doors and windows and and applaud um the NHS staff and workers and whatever else and funnily enough in the UK for years uh, the NHS has been has been crippled um yep. and the, you know the NHS has gone underfunded underappreciated and everything else but when we when we had that chat, you you had some very in- interesting thoughts about the way that our mindset is going to and needs to shift as a result of everything here. So I think we have two conversations. The first conversation is about the immediacy of what we do, and that's around things like making sure we don't hoard, making sure that we're looking after our mental health. We have a plan for what we want to achieve in the next you know three months, six months when we're under lockdown. Then there's a second question which you're alluding to, which is about what happens? How do we organize society off the back of this event? And what changes need to be made? So we have to admit something, and that is that we live in a hyper-individualistic society. 
or we have hyper-individualistic tendencies, and that is a product of a hyper-capitalistic society. And I think that's evidence, that's born out of the evidence of things like the extent of panic buying, the hoarding, and how, we, how we've defunded so many programs, and we've focused on growth of business as opposed to growth of people, right? And we can go into that, and, but we, let's make an assumption that that's the case. Now, if you imagine that not at a national level, but at a, a, at a global level, that's produced so much global inequality that we see people who can buy a hundred million dollar, you know, flat in New York, all the way down to people in Yemen who literally are going through famine. And that's the extent of the disparity. So we, we start at that point. But then when we talk about health, and specifically health care, the, the conversation tends to be, especially in certain Western countries at the moment, you're basically told that you're an expense, that or the, another, the other is an expense. The migrant is such an expense, such a burden, so you cannot be afforded for. The state cannot afford you any longer. And that comes into matters of pensions. That comes into how much is being invested as a, at an indiv per individual level, at, at the level of healthcare. Or you're told in another system you're not worth insuring, you're not worth insuring, you're a drain, and so on and so forth. Now, whether that's audible, and that's said in the way in which I'm putting it across, or whether that's just the way in which people are beginning to understand themselves, that's, that's, the, that's the message being put out. Now, the outcome of that message is that people over a period of time, they begin to believe this hype. They begin to believe that the government cannot put your most basic needs as a baseline of its responsibility, and instead they put their needs into other things. As an example, we can see it right now, we have stockpiled weapons across this world beyond our need to kill one another. I mean, there's not a place on this earth that is not packed with guns or tanks or missiles, but what we don't have stocked are basic medical supplies for a pandemic that we've known about since November. When you and I were talking about this, I asked you a question, I'm not sure if you remember, I said, why is this called COVID-19? I know the answer and to that. You know it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, almost everyone I've asked, why is it called COVID-19? They go, I don't know. And I say, well, 19 is because it was understood. It was caught in 2019 in November. Everyone knows about Wuhan. I mean, if you're Donald Trump, you're calling it the Chinese virus. But everyone knows that the first location it was identified in is Wuhan, November 2019. You and I are recording this at the end of March 2020, we've had five months to prepare. And what we still don't have is things like PPE, we don't have the correct clothing, we don't have face masks, we don't have ventilators, we don't have soaps, we don't have hand washes, and so on and so forth. So we have to be able to understand that there has to be a conversation as we begin to go out of this around the way in which we're organizing global life a national life, and it's not done at the behest of multinational corporations. It's not done on the basis of, um, you know, tax policies for the super rich and so on and so forth. But there has to be basic needs that are met for everyone in the world. That's my starting point. And I really believe that the Muslims, the Muslim community needs to lead this conversation. And it needs to be led from the Quran. 
right? It needs to move away from this very tribalistic, nationalistic understanding of religion, sectarian understanding of religion, but based on a religion, based on a global order that is based on the Quran, as the Muslims have been demanded. For example, the Quran will say, "Inna hadhihi ummatakum ummatan wahida." This ummah of yours is one ummah. Now. 70% of the time the Qur'an speaks of the, of the word ummah, it is meaning global community, human community. Qur'an talks, Ya Banu Adam, or Ya Bani Adam. So, so many times Allah addresses us at the human level, and my starting point is that the conversation now needs to shift in this direction, because clearly a pandemic doesn't care about your ethnicity, it doesn't care for your nation states. It is a human endeavor. To defeat this trial, um, I, I was actually going to ask you, and I think I think there's more room to potentially elaborate on what you just mentioned now in I terms love of to. the Quranic. Definitely, <laughs> I know I'm you're holding yourself back. Yeah, completely. <laughs> <laughs> so no, when when you talk about the the Quranic perspective, um, I think that's interesting because again, I I feel like for a lot of people. I, and I mean, just to just to sort of digress a little bit, but we will come back. Like when this all started out, I think for a lot of people it was banter. Like um, for me, the biggest the biggest loss from all of this was was Liverpool's title hopes um, in the your Premier League. Cl- your club is basically a banter club, and forevermore, uh, well, obvi- <laughs> forevermore will be a banter club after I, I, this. I, I was I was getting digressed and sidetracked. I was hoping you would stay on topic, um, <laughs> but you know, so, so that's what it started out as. Um, and funny enough, I was actually speaking to a friend who who currently is living in Iran. Um, and he and we were discussing like the trajectory that they've experienced, and and it's you know the the number of deaths are rising daily. I think he said the last count was like 150, mm-hmm. which was up from 130 the previous day. Um, but I remember him messaging me at the beginning of all of this, and and it was like a bit comical almost because it's just like oh look at the response and people aren't taking it seriously and whatever. Um, and I think even here as well there was a bit of like we didn't fully fathom the the extent of of what we're experiencing and and like you know no one could have predicted on on day one that that we'd be in a situation of lockdown even when we saw it in wuhan and maybe that's like our hubris as as human beings but uh, you know we're thinking oh yeah that's china like that's that's affecting them you know as you say like donald trump pretty much just verbalizes i think what a lot of us sometimes think in the deep dark parts of our head um, but he's just bold enough to say, it. I'm not endorsing Trump in any way whatsoever. <laughs> but, but you know, you always have that little voice and, and he, he is that voice, but just he's a crazy... Yeah, yeah. We, 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 I mean, although we actually have two angels, we have an angel on the left shoulder and the right shoulder. What we're often told is that we have a devil on the, on the left shoulder. And I think he, he is that devil that is just the worst what? part, the worst part <laughs> of human existence. But... You're right. You, you you said it, not me. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> but, but but you're right. You're right. So if you, if you look at it from a Quranic perspective, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala often talks about two things at one time. He often talks about the ni'mah that is present, and he also talks about the the dhar, the distress or the harm that will afflict you. So the Quran says, "Wama bikum min ni'matin min Allah." Whatever blessing you have is from Allah. But in the same verse, it immediately follows. So he will say that whatever distress befalls upon you, you immediately turn to God. So Allah sets up this 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 um, dialectic that your ease and harm or ease and, and comfort and distress are always happening together. And we imagine that 
the distress that's happening in another part of the world doesn't affect us. We look on and we're very, very empathetic to the plight in Syria, to the plight in Yemen, to, to plights in Nigeria. And as you say, a pandemic that started in Wuhan some five months ago. However, I will, I will dispute a little bit of what you said and said that we couldn't see this coming. We actually have um, leaked documents now that said that from the beginning of, from January 2020, American intelligence agencies were warning of a pandemic. You can see that from the beginning of 2020, certain countries took huge steps, much greater than what we, we took in the West to be able to control this. And that's why they're so ahead. China built a hospital in the space of a week. Hong Kong put out um, the kinds of crackdowns that we are experiencing now in the UK this week, three months ago. And they have roaming units that if something happens in a localized location, they actually have units that go there and immediately test and immediately isolate and even test those people who are in the locality. We don't have any of this. We're way, way behind in the West. So why is that? So, yeah, I understand that we, we kind of look at others, but that's my point. When you begin to wake up and realize that this is no longer, um, we're no longer nation states that are just in our silos. This is a human community at its global level, at its truest sense. We have to shift our thinking, which means even the way our scholars start thinking about Islam has to shift from this very sectarian outlook from a very nationalistic outlook to a very global understanding of our responsibilities. That's happening elsewhere in academia. We have global public policy as a study. We have, you know, global understanding of economy as a study. You and I have often spoke about how far behind the Muslim scholastic community is in some of these endeavors. And I think now is a really good opportunity for us to play catch up. Um, uh, in terms of what you just mentioned about our our you know Muslim scholarship and and needing to refocus away from kind of sectarian tropes and whatever else, um, what does that look like? How as as in do do you see, for example, this pandemic, this global pandemic, as being uh, the necessary catalyst to to really igniting that shift? You know, one of the most stunning things I saw on the internet a couple of days ago, uh, it might have been yesterday, I, 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 time is just merged into time, one. Yeah, time, so time I, definitely merges into I think, one. I think you in, said there's no such thing as a Monday morning anymore. You know, what's Monday traffic? <laughs> but um, I think it was yesterday where I saw Italy take down its um, European Union flag and replace it with the Chinese flag. Now, just just take a step back and... Is that, that is, not, is that not unprecedented for a European Union nation to take down a European Union flag and replace it with the Far East? And why, why did they do that? Because of how much China has assisted them with their medical supplies. That's a government doing that. Now, I'll come back to that point in a second. So... The reason why I'm going to I'm mentioning that and I'll come back to it is because it's just showing us how how much nations can work with each other. Yet at the same time, on the same day, the United States of America appropriated 500,000 COVID-19 testing kits from Italy 
flew them from Italy to the United States of America because the United States of America were in need. So Italy has had 500,000 taken away from it at, by one Western country and has been provided more by China. We'll come back to that in a second. Now, the question that you raised was, you know, can we see ourselves beginning to shift our thinking, especially as a Muslim community? If you see what's happening, the conversation that's happening in the West, we're actually beginning to think about how, how some of these laws that have been swept in from a government perspective, but also how people themselves are beginning to shift their behaviors and their practices, how different society could potentially be, right? Um, children who previously may not have had strong enough Wi-Fi at home to have lessons have now been given Wi-Fi. We're now beginning to think of Wi-Fi as a utility, the same way water is a utility, the same way uh, gas and electricity is a utility. And actually, in my own articles that I've written, I've written several times that I believe in globalization of utilities and that Wi-Fi is a human right because communication is a, is a right for us, right? We're beginning no, no, to see... I was going to say not to get into party politics just yet, but this is something that the Labour Party wanted to, to, to also <laughs> offer to the country, right? Right on. And <laughs> but what's interesting is that, and, and, and I guess let, let's let's go there very briefly. So um, everything that the Labour Party essentially wanted to achieve with the Labour government under Jeremy Corbyn, which was being dubbed socialism and harmful and difficult and unrealistic and blah blah blah, is pretty much what we've seen within the space of you know almost less than six months from the election um that the, the tory government um rolling out now obviously you know it is but, in but, light not of a sort of... but not rolling out because it was part of their fiscal endeavor to do so or their or their manifesto but it was, it's become necessity it's become it was always a necessity that's the point i'm making when we begin to reflect on this the conversation is that all of these things have always been there and that's why, as you said, again, we're not going to party politics or we're not supporting one party over another in this discourse. But people like Jeremy Corbyn, people like Bernie Sanders, their mantra, their their career of 50 years in politics has been based on these policies. And it's being rolled out now only because we're in a state of emergency. Well, the argument is we were always in a state of emergency. So Wi-Fi has become a utility. It's been a discussion now. We're seeing that stores... Are allowing shops, or sorry, stores are allowing time for seniors to come in and shop for an hour assisted, where it's just them. So there's no pressure. They don't feel, um, you know, like they're being scared off. That should always have been available to people who are vulnerable peoples or people who lose their jobs. Should they be kicked out of their houses if they can't pay rent for three months? Should evictions be delayed? Of course they should be delayed. In fact, in the Islamic jurisprudence, it is forbidden for anyone to be kicked out of their house if you lose your job. That's been there since uh, Mu'adh bin Jabal, the companion of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa became bankrupt. The Prophet had to negotiate on his behalf what was going to be collected from him in terms of debts, and the Prophet forbade him losing his house. That's been there for 1,400 years. Only now we're beginning to see it not as a political discussion, but as a human right that politics needs to base itself off. Or sick people are being encouraged to stay home until they get better. That should have always been the case. But instead, people are, you know, I have to go to work because of PP, um, 
um, uh, statutory sick leave, it, uh, it's only £105. But the average rent in this country is £220 per month. It doesn't even cover half what they need. Homeless people are being shifted into uh, into um, hotels because they don't want to they don't want them to be part of the pandemic. Well, if that's been available to them, why has it been that over the winter months they've been living on the streets? If it's always been available to them, why are we only doing it now on the basis of a pandemic? If it's a human right, it's a human right. My point is that as we come out of this 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 period of six months. We shouldn't forget these lessons. We need to structure society on rights and not on economic needs. Economic needs need to be on the basis of human rights. And we're living those at the moment, but not living those in accordance with party politics. We're living those because we're living a pandemic. But realistically, um, I I, th- I feel like we'll, we'll uh, inshallah, obviously, um, get out of the end, other end of this. And and things will just be business as usual. The Tories will be Tories again. The Labour Party will be the Labour Party again. The Lib Dems will cease to be relevant for the majority of society. I feel. <laughs> Ouch. Um, <laughs> that's just my own personal um, issues with having voted for them the first time I was eligible to vote, and then being cheated by Nick Clegg and the rest of the. Anyways, we can go down that rabbit hole another time. Um, <laughs> so, I, I stay silent. Uh, yeah, I, yeah you, you, you do what you got to do. Liverpool again, it's fine. You, <laughs> you, you do what you got to do. So, um, but no, like, is in. I guess the question is, and 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 you said that we should lead from a from a Muslim slash Islamic perspective. So I will put the challenge to you in that: How can we be at the forefront of? Um, the the theory and I guess then also the practice of everything you've just said, like I, everything makes sense. The fact that there are provisions, there is you know there are empty hotel rooms all year round. The, what's the issue with putting homeless people in those places, especially in the winter months when things are kind of perilous for them? But we don't do that, and it's only because of this pandemic that suddenly this magic money tree that everyone used to joke about has just reared its head with three hundred thirty billion pounds to Theresa kind of May's bail out. Favorite statement to a nurse quote there is no magic money tree well we've just found it and we're shaking it we're shaking it very very hard um and and that's so so here we go so here's the challenge to you is that how do we then as muslims using the um the, the the framework that you've kind of been alluding to a little bit and i know that there has been work that's been done in the background as well about all of this kind of stuff how do we then actually um put ourselves at the forefront of this reshaping of society and as i said also just a very basic question do you think there will realistically be any sort of restructuring or reshaping of society given that we know how people like to revert back to their default setting um when not in a time of crisis so the first thing is i would call for a public inquiry on every government that has had to respond at a serious level to the coronavirus threat so be that Donald Trump, be that Boris Johnson and so on, because I think the government, I think the public have a right to know what information was given to them and when, how that was used. And so people should have a right to be able to then decide whether we were put in more harm's way or whether genuinely we were kept safe by our governments, because we, we need to be able to come out of the back of this with confidence that the government was genuinely looking after us when we hear things like you know dominic cummings believing in eugenics 
and then him stating, yeah, well, some pensions, pensioners are going to die, but we need to protect the economy. And then we, off the back of that, we have a really weak herd immunity program that is going to kill thousands of people over these several months. We do have a right to be able to know whether this has been for our benefit or not. But from the Islamic perspective, this entire universe, and I don't just mean that in the physical sense, I mean God's creation, runs off the back of the Asma'ullah al-Husna, the great names of Allah. And off the back of those names come the laws that he creates, the sunan of Allah, the practices that God creates. Now, one of the great names of Allah is that he is a shakir. He is the grateful to our thanks. When we are thankful to Allah, Allah responds in kind to us. I can't think of a better way of being more grateful to Allah, Jalla Jalalahu, than actually making the types of reforms that we just talked about a few minutes back, about things like utilities, about sharing of global resources. And what I was talking about with China was you can see one country, the United States of America, has appropriated half a million tests. And another country has provided them, Italy, with the shortfall. And as a result of that, the government actually took down the flag of the European Union and replaced it temporarily with the Chinese flag. You can see some countries are so willing to work with each other. Some countries are so unwilling to work with or for each other. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a wonderful verse in the Quran in chapter 16, Surah Nahal, verse number 54. He says, Then, if Allah removes distress from you, so we're talking in the context of COVID-19, if he removes this distress from you, so, you will actually see that some will then go and end up actually ascribing partners to God. They won't be thankful. Being unthankful for what we have given to them. The worst thing we can do at the end of all of this is to be ungrateful to Allah for having removed this level of global distress upon us. The best way to be thankful to Allah is actually to learn from the reasons as to why this has been given to us. Now, you could say this is entirely a natural phenomenon. Either way, we still have to learn that we're not living in harmony with the world. We have to reform the way in which we're living with the world. We could say that this is, from a theological perspective, something from God. We don't know for sure. We cannot ascribe that to him. But if it is from him, then again, he wants us to learn something from this. You asked, will we do that? To be honest with you, that's all down to us in these next few months, individually and collectively. Those who turn to God, God will turn to them. So in this period of time, individually, collectively, we should be learning about how we need to restructure society, how the laws that we base our organization, our system of society on, should be baseline for everyone, for the weakest, most vulnerable in society. That when we come out of it, it's not emergency powers that are giving us these tools. This is the status quo the new status quo. Will we do it? As I said, it's down to us in these next few months as to how we reform internally our understanding and then we can come out off the back of that.
but I, I think, as in, as in, like, thank, thank you for that. Um, but I, I feel the problem is that we live and exist in a secular society, and to frame the argument around Asma al Husna, um, is is difficult because I can't turn to my local MP. Who? Uh, well, <coughs> Why not? My my local MP is a bad example because he, he he doesn't listen to Muslims regardless. Um, but but you know, someone can't turn to a non-Muslim. Your non- local MP is a, is a diehard Spurs fan, by the way. So, yeah, that's listen it, again. Let's so not, let's for all not of digress. his sins, for all of his you know downfalls, <laughs> he, he is still loved by God. So I I can't <laughs> I can't I can't turn to um, any MP that might not be a Muslim or understand the well, framework. Well, my, my of primary the audience here, our primary audience is a Muslim audience, and I'm and I'm yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm but, addressing but, no, but, the Muslim but my question, but... no, I get I get that. But my my question is then like it, it, the, you can have that internal reform. I get that, and I think that's obviously fundamentally important. But I'm talking about on the the national and global level because we need to be able to impact change beyond just our households. So um, this is and where that's the difficulty. This is where party politics does play a role. This is where academia plays a role, and this is where social media plays a role. Um, so th- there are already there are already um, fields that study this matter, and that the Muslim community needs to contribute greatly to, be it Muslim scholarship, Muslim academia, or Muslim society, where the the pulpit and the friday sermons need to start shifting away from very very traditional discourses around fiqh and history of the prophet to contemporary discourse i'll give you an example we already have a really global conversation that's being had around things like universal basic income that's not that doesn't need to come from the asma al-husna what that does need to come from is a perspective of human rights and that everybody deserves to have a basic level of standard of living, whether you live in here or in the United Kingdom where we're having this conversation or whether you're in Yemen, right? Or global public policy, which speaks about the pooling of global resources. At the moment, we still have a very nationalistic idea and a very capitalistic idea of resources. Water. Water is appropriated by companies. Why? That's a human right. Oil. Why is that something for a company? We talk about nationalizing certain um, utilities. I believe, I believe, as a researcher in Islam, Islam calls for globalization of utilities. And as I'm saying, you need to pool these resources and the collective 7.2 billion people should have equal access to these things. Now, it's all well and good saying that's airy-fairy, but we see how quickly we've shifted discourse, how quickly we've shifted behavior in a time of panic. And this is what we're saying. We don't need to just shift it in a time of panic. Panic can be the lesson for us to be able to think about. And the Muslim community needs to be at the forefront of some of these discuss- discussions. Now, you, at the moment, the way in which we value a society is wrong. It's GDP, for example. Um, and actually, there are a number of countries that are thinking beyond this, and they're looking at things like, Instead of GDP, GNH, the gross um, national happiness, you know, that's like looking at living standards, psychological well-being, health, time use, uh, education, cultural diversity, good governance, ecological diversity, community vitality. 
these are the things that actually are the standards of humanity that we need to judge ourselves against, not how much we're producing economically. We're having these conversations. Now needs to come a time where we don't just have them, we bring them into force. I like, as in, I think the the point you just mentioned about GDP is 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 one we discussed on the phone also a couple of days ago. But I think that's for me at least of like particular interest in that looking at the kind of global markets right now, um, it, everything is very grim, um, and 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 all of a sudden actually what's really important, like we mentioned with the kind of who we value in society, the doctors and the nurses and 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 all of the the key workers in society. Like we've we've got this newfound respect for them, putting themselves on the front line essentially every single day, just to to, to number one do their jobs and to save lives. They're literally tearing up bin liners and using bin liners as their protective clothing. This is an assault on our frontline workers. It's an assault on the people that are looking after our lives and saving our lives. That's murderous. I mean, I, I don't know what else to call it. If you don't have the basic needs for doctors to save us at this time, when we are, Britain, the sixth largest economy in the world, if you haven't prepared for something like this, then it's criminal. And as I said, there does need to be an investigation on what the government has done. Now, I just want to bring in one point, uh, one verse, if you don't mind. Yeah. To me, this verse is just baffling. I mean, the intellect is, 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 is cannot comprehend the depths of the Quran here. Allah, we're talking about going out of this in a positive way and making certain changes. Allah mentions in Surah Nahal, chapter 16 of the Quran, verse 92, do not be like her who unravels her yarn, disintegrating it into pieces after she has spun it strongly. You know, once it's took, it's giving a metaphor, you know, once you've, you've, you've sewn something strongly and it's, it's connected, don't be like the one who unravels it, disintegrating it into pieces after it's been strung after it's been spun strongly, the verse continues. You make your oaths to be a means of deceit between yourselves because one nation is more stronger, is more numerous than the other. So Allah is saying, look, just because you think that, don't pull the wool over my eyes. If you're going to commit to this now, if you're going to say that we can make society better, and you've actually spun it strongly, you've now made Wi-Fi a utility for children. You've now taken the homeless and put them in housing. You've now delayed people being evicted from their houses. Do not be like her who unravels her yarn, disintegrating it into pieces after it has been spun strongly. The Quran is giving us a warning. The Quran says elsewhere, La tufsidu fil ba'da Do not corrupt the earth after it has been reformed. So we are reforming our ways at the moment. Allah is saying, don't go back, don't fall asleep, don't go back to your status quo, keep the trajectory going. Now, if the Muslim community cannot have this conversation internally, we are not going to be able to have that conversation externally. Now, the reality is, many, many other people in many other political and academic spectrums are having these conversations. It requires us to be in and amongst those and at the forefront of those. Yeah, um, I I I don't know how to because this is all getting quite intense and it's very powerful. But I don't know how to segue to our last segment about Ramadan. 
so <laughs> so, um, so let's just do it like this um <laughs> no so so the last thing no i, I mean i i think that conversation I, I think i hope that this is the start of of the conversation and and the thought process in people's minds um about understanding uh the reforms that are currently we're currently seeing i don't think because because we're at a time where even looking at the the response from the the UK government obviously that's where we're based so that's where what we see up front um it hasn't been party political you don't have the labor party kind of taking their jibes every 2 minutes at every policy that's taken out by the tories yeah because we're in this crisis mode and and we're looking at the best interest for the nation bigger things um, to to deal with yep much bigger things to deal with but 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 i think you know People are, uh, as a result, not really making the point about the fact that we basically have a Tory government who 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 are who are using socialism to to ensure that society stays alive and to to you know to protect everybody, um, which is unprecedented. And I think the word unprecedented, I can't even say it right, but it's been used so many times over the last few weeks and will continue to be used. I feel because we're just seeing things that have never happened before. They're calling back. Um, retired uh Doctors, nhs workers police, policemen as well retired policemen to come out policemen and i think also they're looking at um students in their final years and giving them the necessary training to to to, to kind of hurry them through so that they can also um serve essentially on the front line but i feel like once the dust settles and once we kind of look back everything you've just said is so important in terms of understanding that society can be a different way um as you said like we've been we've been sold certain versions of the truth that uh we're sold that they're sold to us as being absolute um you started off by talking about capitalism and whatever else and and we've i guess existed in that kind of society for for such a long time that we have never seen another version of the world essentially but yeah. what we're seeing yes. overnight is is a different blueprint for what the world can look like and how yes. we can still thrive and survive um, with that. And like even, for example, the notion of if you told, you know, 95% of companies that all your employees have to work from home, they say our business cannot function. Now it's the only way your business can function. Right. Our realities um, have shifted so drastically that yes, we've understood that... the world differently and our potential within that world. And, and what you're seeing is that there's a 330 billion pound initial bailout here in the UK. It's a 500 billion dollar bailout in the US. What we're really interested in seeing is where does that money go? Does it go to billionaires to protect their businesses? Because that's been happening in, in, in previous financial crises, right? The banks yeah. were always bailed out. The stock market crashed and immediately the stock, the stock market was paused so that people didn't lose their values in shares. So it's always been about protecting one class of people. Now I want to see whether we're genuinely protecting people at large. And if that's possible, the conversation needs to be that we've proven that we can do it. We've proven how quickly we can do it. Let's keep this as a reality for ourselves. And especially as our kids are growing up into that reality, they won't know anything other than that. You and I, all we know is protection of a billionaire class. Actually, our kids from tomorrow can know nothing other than protection of the most vulnerable in society. Inshallah. Inshallah. I mean, it, 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 it's definitely, I'm going to use the word one final time, unprecedented. I can't wait, unprecedented. You, you got there, right. it's, okay. it's okay. I got there roughly. But um, yeah, it's definitely those times. I'm not going to say it again. Um, <laughs> 
but <laughs> so so just just to kind of conclude um and and we're still quite far away from from the holy month of ramadan but i think it is slowly on people's minds increasingly i mean you know boris johnson announced in the uk that for three weeks we're in a uh, we're in lockdown um and, and i'm i'm pretty sure and most people are pretty sure looking at how it's gone around the world that that's going to be extended so what does that mean for the month of Ramadan for, for people? Um, and I, I think like I was, I was discussing this yesterday, um, some people in my own household were fasting and uh, they all found it really tough because you're basically stuck at home. And imagine 30 days of that, that's going to be um, quite difficult. Uh, but what are your thoughts with regards to, I guess, how to maintain uh, a level of, of spirituality and and I guess the spirit of Ramadan it's something that we always talk about and if we don't talk about it we 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 feel it inside that like Ramadan has a very very special thing to it um but will it be the same this year do you think so famously in our hadith the month of Ramadan is referred to as the month of the ummah and that's because the ummah comes together in a unified practice and yeah is so aware of one another because of the level of emphasis on um, sharing food, cooking for one another, the level of emphasis on charity. Now, that doesn't mean that in any way the emphasis needs to be taken away. What we're just realizing, it's a shift in practice. So instead of us being able to go to the masjid for taraweeh or to the to the, to the mosque of Husseiniya for the various a'mal and practices of worship that we do we're going to have to do these things remotely we're going to have to do these things at home and that means there's going to be a greater emphasis on the individual and the family now normally we talk about three spheres three so three three levels of spheres the first one is the individual second is the familial and then the third is the community and really what we're having to um, sacrifice is the community which means greater emphasis can be focused on the first two spheres. You know, there's a really, really funny meme that always goes around the internet every couple of months. It's like I, I, I didn't expect this to. I didn't expect you to mention a meme. Well, we've got we've gone from Quran to meme, so you know, it's, it's, we, we, we're <laughs> but, including but so the quickly, spectrum of wisdom here. You know, so quickly, I'm I'm, in, I'm impressed. Go on, let's hear the meme. <laughs> so it's like it, I, I'm it's you. I, I can't remember the exact word, but it's like it's, this. it's, it's not like, Quran. Oh. You don't have to quote it word for word. It's okay. <laughs> like you can paraphrase a meme or even get it wrong. There's no there's no punishment. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. So, uh, <laughs> on on the authority of someone in the internet, Carl, he said that um, yeah. you know the internet went down. I've had to spend the next two hours with my family. Turns out they're nice people, <laughs> you know. Or another one, it's like the internet went down. I had to speak to my wife. Turns out she's a doctor. You know, like it's 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 really interesting. The well, it, there's a lot of truth said in jest, and we're yeah. having to have an experience with our family unit the like of which we probably never had other than at weddings when everyone's crammed into one house because everyone's flown in from other parts of the world so you know like this is actually a a blessing and there's a very famous hadith about one of the great um, jurists um, of islamic history imam musa al-kadhim peace and blessings be upon him um, who was thrown into uh, a jail and you know, he, he responded with such positivity. He said famously, oh, God, you know that I've been looking for time to worship you. Thank you for having given me this time to exclusively devote 
myself to you alone. And we're so used to having a rat race. I, I think you and I probably have it to the nth degree, the amount of things we're involved in, the amount of projects we're constantly juggling. And it's like, where do we find time to fulfill our goals? It might be the books that we wanted to write or read or the articles that we wanted to read. I have literally 499 articles open on my iPhone. Literally. And I have one... Does iPhone not allow you to open 500? It, but no, the 500th one is to be able to like search whatever I want to on Google or whatever. The rest, so, so I, <laughs> oh, the that phone one window, I see. Yeah, okay. the phone, yeah, the one window. The phone doesn't allow you to have more than 500. I genuinely have 499 videos or articles or things. And I was just like, when and do I get all, the that's time? And that's all Muslim vibe content, right? Well, because I already read it as soon as it comes out. It doesn't need to remain Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's fine, that's, that's fine, that's that. fine. Good job, so, good job. So we yeah, actually yeah. do need to, to restructure our time. Shah Ramadan is coming. Shah Ramadan is the peak of spirituality, which means we have right now around four weeks to be able to build up to those normalities that we're going to be facing in Shah Ramadan. That's things like structuring our day, structuring it around recitation of Quran, structuring it around reading good books, structuring it around the nawafil. We're supposed to recite 51 rak'ah in a day. We're supposed to recite our salat al-layl and so on. We actually have this time to build our day around that spirituality, to get to know our friends and family differently. And as an outcome of that, Shah Ramadan, inshallah, can become very, very personal with God. And off the back of that, hopefully we can actually maintain pain after Shah Ramadan. We always say, oh, there's a dip. Well, actually, if we're getting all this time to build up to it, hopefully it becomes even stronger this year than at any other time. Inshallah. Um... Well, thank you very much. I, I think that's a it's a good place to end. We've 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 gone as you mentioned from from Quran all the way down to memes. Um, in in the course <laughs> of this conversation, <laughs> so so uh, the conversation uh, went downwards, not upwards. Huh? Well, no, should, I, should I, I'm not saying that. Should have gone with a meme saying... and ended with Quran. <laughs> all started with Quran. But no, I I think I think it's important. And I mean, like you know, we always end up having like like when we're not on the podcast, when we chat, we always have these very wide ranging conversations, and and, and it does sometimes descend into meme territory um <laughs> and then well that's mainly me and then i like to think that you kind of drag it out and and lift it up into talking about hadith and quran and and seems it was the ideologies and yeah well i you know I, I, again i don't want to say at least it, i'm having a good impact on you you know something yeah. positive coming out of all this <laughs> but no um i i think i as i said I, I think the reason i wanted to have this conversation and and over the next couple of weeks we're, we're trying to get out as much content as possible because i know people are are no longer i guess living their lives in the same way so so as you said like you know articles books even like podcasts that i think it's important that people kind of catch up and and do as much as they can um and make the most of this opportunity because we don't know what the future holds and i think that's one thing that we've all kind of learned is that you know this i, I guess our generation now are always going to have that thing in the back of our minds you know post pandemic mm. that like something like this could happen again at any yeah. point we're and living like in the dystopian present and when we come out of that the post pandemic world what do we want to be but but also trying to like impress that on our kids like my daughter is 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 18 19 months she has no clue what's going on right now yeah. but like when i try and explain to her that overnight global tr travel was shut down you know the markets crashed people were working from home she won't understand like why mm. we've got this like 
rainy day fund for like pandemic mm. <laughs> you know what i mean um no, normally your savings are like for holidays but now now all of a sudden i'm seeing the need to like save for for anything yeah um and i think that's something only like through experience you can get but anyways look um thank you very much for for coming back on the podcast my pleasure um and 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 sharing your your wide-ranging views and thoughts with us uh we haven't done this in a while we should definitely do this again soon i look it's, forward it's to it fun we we can have a, a reflection on the 2019-2020 season. I think we're both despairing <laughs> at this moment. We can, we can break it yeah, down. Yeah, I I think let's let's skip that one. Um, as as nice as it sounds, I'm I'm not that keen. Um, but no, thank you once again for 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 coming on the podcast, and uh, thank you for hopefully the invite. we will get to to meet face to face again very very soon. Inshallah, I look forward to it. Stay healthy, all the listeners. Make sure you keep up with your goals and inshallah we'll all come out of this stronger as a human community. So that was my conversation with Sheikh Jafar Ladakh. Um, as always a pleasure. Uh, we, I, I uh, spend quite a lot of time with him. We kind of work together on, on, on a couple of different things. Um, and, and the conversations are, are, are usually uh, pretty similar to what you just heard. Uh, mainly i guess we talk a lot more about football <laughs> than we do the, the the other bigger stuff but it's always interesting to get his take on things and he always has quite an interesting kind of political outlook um and is very well read and versed when it comes to all of that stuff i definitely recommend actually listening to the the conversation um on our podcast uh that he had with a with the right-wing activist that i mentioned right at the beginning um, it's like a two hour long conversation it is pretty lengthy but um, they talk about everything from like the Middle East to the history of Islam Islam being spread by the sword um, Sharia law like various other bits um, and, and it's really really fascinating just to I think it's the first time and probably the last time it's ever happened where uh, a sheikh or an imam has sat down with, with, with a right wing um, activist and, and actually had that kind of conversation out and I, I, I think um, it was it was an interesting experience being there in the room um, and, and, and just an experience funnily enough like when when they came in they were they were quite scared and like I was I was we, we met in a in a Hilton Hotel in Watford we had rented out like one of the office rooms there for this um, Sheikh Jaffer had rented it on his end and these guys kind of came in and I, I met them in reception I took them to the room and as I was taking them, they went down some side, uh, they, they, they took like a side exit. And I was like, oh no, guys, it's this way. He's like, oh no, we're just checking the exits and like checking the perimeter for security. And I was like, we're, we're here to have a conversation. I didn't say this to them because I was scared of getting punched. But um, I was thinking we're here to have a conversation and these guys are, are, are gen and they were genuinely scared, which was quite worrying, um, that there was like a, a genuine fear um, of us. And it was quite sad to think that, you know, due to, um, I think a part of it is just believing their own hype if you say that like Muslims are the boogeyman for long enough you're going to start believing it um, but anyways that's I mean that conversation was 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 fascinating to be in the room um, on the day and listen to uh, definitely worth worth checking out and I guess understanding a very genuine um, perspective from someone who, who calls himself a, a right wing individual um and, and hearing the response from, from the sheikh and everything else. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually sitting down later today to record another podcast, which I'll probably post in a, in a day or two. Um, we're sitting with uh, Bilal Zafar, who is a stand-up comedian, um, has performed at the Edinburgh Fringe and is uh, generally an all-round quite nice and, and, and funny guy. Um, so look out for that one. And yeah, we're, I mean, I, I'm in loads of conversations right now with people about recording stuff. So, so we're hoping to bring as much content as we can over the next couple of days and weeks um, and probably months if this coronavirus stuff carries on. But that is uh, everything for today. So thank you very much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do subscribe. Tell your friends, give us a five star rating, you know, all the usual stuff. Um, thank you. Take care and stay safe.